echinacea, garlic, zinc, vitamin C, ginseng, elderberry. All natural herbs or supplements purporting to in some way help fight the common cold. Is there any evidence to support the claims that dietary supplements and herbal remedies can actually help to fight the common cold? We're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Ron Turner, professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia. Dr. Turner is a respiratory disease expert and has done an extensive amount of research on traditional and natural cold remedies. Dr. Turner, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. So uh, I understand you've been studying this for at least 27 years, and uh, you've probably seen a lot of remedies come and go, as they have for centuries. So it's it seems like nowadays somebody's actually paying to study them. So why do you think now we're finally getting around to that? Well, I think a couple of things have happened. First of all, there was a change in the law in 1994 that changed the way that these herbal remedies and non-traditional remedies are managed by the FDA. And as a result of that, you probably have noticed that there's a, been a tremendous increase in the, in the number of products that have been brought forth with various claims, including respiratory disease and common cold claims. So that's certainly been one driver of the interest in, in this area. I think as a result of that renewed interest, the NIH developed a new institute that was directed specifically at looking at complementary and alternative therapies. So that's been a source of some funding in this area that wasn't there previously. So the money's coming from government. It's not coming from, let's say, vitamin companies that are funding the uh, NIH to do these studies? Well, the, the companies aren't funding NIH. There is some funding that's coming to investigators like myself directly from either Big Pharma that's trying to mm-hmm. get into the natural products market or from smaller companies that have uh, natural products that they believe uh, are effective and, and are willing to put up some money to try to uh, demonstrate the effectiveness of their product. So let's go back 20 years ago. What kind of studies were being done then, and, and how do the studies now compare to that? Well, I think 20 years ago, we, we actually had very little activity in terms of dietary supplements and herbals. At that time, there was some interest in vitamin C that had been cultivated, I guess, in some way by Linus Pauling, I Mm -hmm. think, is who started that. So there was a little bit of interest in vitamin C because of that. But really, other than that, very little in this area, at least in the United States. The types of studies that we were seeing in the mid-80s, for instance, were studies of more traditional pharmacologic approaches like the antihistamines and the nasal decongestants, that sort of thing. And also in the 80s, there was an awful lot of interest in antiviral approaches. There was an awful lot of work that was done in the 1980s around interferon as a treatment for the common cold. And around that time, there were also a number of new molecules that were developed with antiviral activity, and we saw some action really in terms of trying to study those as well. Most of those things have kind of fallen by the wayside, and uh, I have to say that right now, much of the interest around common colds is related to the dietary supplements and herbals. So let's start with zinc. It's been purported, as long as I've been a physician, to shorten the duration or the severity of a common cold, and I know you were recently involved in a study, so I'm wondering, did it live up to its 
hype? Well, uh, I have to say that in the studies that we've done, that I've done personally, uh, we have not been able to find any effectiveness of zinc for common colds. And so uh, that's been my personal experience. If you look at the literature across the broad spectrum of literature, it's really been a little bit discouraging from a scientific perspective because what's happened over time is that there have been studies that have found very dramatic results, and at the other end of the spectrum, studies that have found no effectiveness. And what you like to see, obviously, from a scientific perspective is that as you analyze these data and you refine the methods in your next study and you begin to hone in, that you begin to develop some convergence of these results so that the results become consistent from study to study. And with zinc, that just simply hasn't happened. And we continue to have reports of fairly dramatic effects with zinc, and then all these other studies where, where there's no effect. So it's been very difficult to try to sort out uh, where the truth really lies. Dr. Turner, how many millions of dollars do you think that people spend a year on zinc-containing products? <laughs> uh, I don't actually know the number. It's it's several tens of millions at yeah, least. Yeah, it's got to be outrageous what, yeah. what, we, what we throw away. Right. Um, so can you safely say... According to Dr. Turner, if you buy zinc lozenges, you are wasting your money. Well, I think so, yes. It's my opinion that zinc really doesn't have a significant effect on common cold symptoms. And I think it's interesting to to reflect on how this all came about. I should have mentioned that zinc was actually one of the things that came about in the 1970s as well. And it first came about because it was noted that zinc inhibited one of the enzymes that's necessary for the replication of rhinovirus. And so the initial thought about zinc was that this was going to be an antiviral, that it was going to have antiviral effects. And that very quickly was disproven, that at at the dosages that you can give safely to people, zinc had no uh, antiviral activity. But it kind of developed a life of its own, and the claims kind of shifted over time to become symptom claims rather than antiviral claims. And so there's really been an evolution of the claims around zinc, and I think that the data really don't support either of those claims. Let's talk about the immune system. Many of the herbs and the supplements out there have these claims that they will boost our immune system and help us fight off the virus. Uh, any, Any proof there? I think, first of all, it's interesting to think a little bit about why you get sick when you get a a common cold virus in your nose anyway. All the evidence that we have at this point suggests that really what produces the symptoms of a common cold is actually the host response to the virus. So we know, for instance, in our experimental challenge studies where we infect normal volunteers with rhinovirus, that we have a group of subjects who, in every study, are infected but don't develop any illness. Those subjects also don't develop an inflammatory response to the virus. And so there's a very nice correlation between the inflammatory response and the development of symptoms. So when somebody claims that they've boosted immunity and therefore are helping cold symptoms, you have to be very careful because if you're boosting an inflammatory response, right, maybe you might, making it worse. You might exactly you be might exacerbating predict that would it. Make, make it worse. Yeah. And so broad spectrum claims of boosting immune function as a way to prevent or or treat common cold symptoms don't really fit with what we know about the biology of, of, of the common cold illnesses. Why is it that these products can still just make these outrageous, vague claims? Well, that, that in part goes back to the Dietary Supplement Health Education Act uh, that was passed in 1994. That act basically allowed companies to 
make functional claims. And by functional claims, we mean things like uh, make you feel better, make, boost your immune system, so not specific disease claims. And so that these companies can make those claims without FDA review. If they make a specific disease claim, this treatment will prevent colds or this treatment will shorten colds, then they have to actually have clinical data and they, they are subject to FDA review. Since we've put zinc behind us and pretty much nailed the coffin on that, let's move into another herb, echinacea. Can you talk a little bit about what it is to start? Well, echinacea is basically purple coneflower for people in the gardening business. Uh, a lot of people have this flower in their yards or in their gardens, and so it's a very common uh, herbal. And uh, it's been around for many, many years. Most people think it started uh, with the Plains Indians uh, in the 1700s, probably, and was originally used as a remedy for snake bite. So it's been around a long time. It was popularized for common colds primarily in Germany and in Europe uh, in the early 1900s. And that was where it was uh, most widely used and actually most widely studied uh, until just recently. So it's got a great name, and uh, I've read it's got a terrible taste if you drip it down people's throats. Um, I think there's a recent study out there that was either in the New England Journal or another reputable magazine really kind of once again showing that echinacea does nothing. Well, we published a paper, uh, I think it's been about uh, two years ago now, in the New England Journal, where it, this was a study that was funded by the NIH, and we uh, we're not using a specific echinacea product, but we actually created echinacea product ourselves that emphasized different constituents of the echinacea so that we could test whether specific constituents might be more effective or, or not, either for prevention or treatment of colds. And really what we found in our study uh, was that, that none of the different preparations that we had had any discernible effect on either symptoms or infection rate. So in our hands, that did not work. And as a result of that, was there any changes at all in, in patients' uh, behaviors in the last two years? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess no. Well, I don't think it was dramatic, but I, I have heard my email fills up occasionally with uh, individuals who don't like what we've found. And I have heard that it did have some impact on sales of echinacea. I don't know it was just our study. I think at about the same time, there were a number of studies that came out that showed that different products had no effect on prostatic hypertrophy, for instance, or depression, that sort of thing. So there were a series of studies all at once that showed a lack of effect of these dietary supplements and herbals. And I think that in aggregate, they may have had some modest effect. Are you aware if there's any lobbies in Washington that really are out there kind of pushing for the herbal industry? Well, I think there probably are. I think for instance, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act was actually championed by a senator from Utah, where there's a large number of these uh, of these companies located. I don't think that's a coincidence. Dr. Turner, when you get a cold, what do you do? <laughs> well, I, I have to say that that I still rely on on pharmacologic remedies to the extent that I do anything. But I think uh, one of the important things is to, to recognize that none of these things that we do actually shorten or alter the course of the cold. And really what you're trying to do is treat the symptom that's bothering you. And so for me, I use the topical decongestants for stuffy nose or nasal obstruction. 
Antihistamines, particularly if you take them at night, are useful for runny nose and can benefit the postnasal drip and the cough that's associated with that. They are, of course, sedating, and so I don't use them in the daytime, but at nighttime I do use them. So I, I think there are specific targeted uh, therapies that can be useful for some of the symptoms. So a little Sudafed to wake you up in the morning and a little Benadryl to knock you out at night. <laughs> Yeah, I don't particularly like the oral decongestants, but the topicals are pretty good. So let's talk topicals. We're always taught if we use Afrin for more than three days, we get hooked on it. Well, there is something to that, and I think you do have to be careful with it. I think that the use of the topical decongestants, the symptom relief, everybody that's used them knows the symptom relief is is pretty dramatic. But I do think that you have to be judicious about using them the the label says three days, and I think that's pretty good guidance. I think that doesn't mean that if you use it for four days, you're automatically hooked, but you do have to be careful. Dr. Ron Turner, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and thank you for listening.